0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of Second Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. We have not been, uh, just as this morning, we haven't been in our series in, uh, in 2 Samuel uh, for quite some time, and so, see if I can get my slides to work here. And uh, we haven't been in this series for quite some time. Actually, I think it has been uh, since the week before Anniversary Sunday, so the last week of February uh, is the last time we were in. So we haven't been in it for a while. But uh, the series we're going through in Second Samuel is called "Conquest and Defeat." Uh, really, it's a it's a book. Um, Probably the most significant character in 2 Samuel is David, and his life is really defined by conquest and defeat. Uh, but I, I love kind of the, the little, um, I don't know, tagline that's on uh, the series. Is, it's just a book about discovering God's grace, God's mercy, and the faith of his people. That's what the second Samuel is about. It's just, uh, I mean, it is completely um, overrunning with grace and mercy and people taking steps of faith, and it's just been a good study. If you were to go to the beginning of the book, of course, the book begins with the death of Saul. Uh, Saul, of course, was someone who was chosen to be king, but because of pride, if you were in our First Samuel series uh, last year, you'll remember that because of pride, God said, hey, I'm going to remove you from being king, and I'm going to put up a man that seeks after my heart, that continually comes after me, and that man was, was David. And of course, uh, Saul held on to that reign for um, about another 16 years before he would He would die. And we end First Samuel with him dying and 2 Samuel begins with David getting word. And you'll remember an Amalekite brings David word that Saul is dead and, and thinking that he's going to please David. And David ends up uh, telling him like, hey, you, you should know better and ends up at costing that Amalekite his life. And, and David then shows us forgiveness. He shows us what grace is. David shows us what mercy is because in Saul's death, David celebrated his life. Remember, if you look and if you were with us on the series, when we began it back in January, when Saul and Jonathan were killed, David said about them, he said, hey, that was God's man. And that was uh, somebody who God used in our nation. And he had his time and he had judgment coming. But basically, David was saying, I'm not going to speak against that man, I'm, I'm so thankful that David showed us that. Because I don't know about you, but in that message we talked about it, I'd be like, yes, it's about time, you know, man. Here's the guy who's been trying to kill me for a year. I'm so glad he's, and David wasn't like that. David was just saying, man, I'm, I'm sorry for the loss. Israel truly has lost somebody uh, that has been a help to them. And what a, what a picture that David has of just understanding uh, grace with people, even though you may disagree with them. And uh, we see that through David's life. But anyway, right after the death of Saul, a man by the name of Abner comes on the scene. And if you were with us in the series, then you'll recall that Abner, he set up Ishbosheth, Saul's son, he set him up as kind of the puppet king. Remember the series, remember the message where Abner is the one that he's, he's like, I'm going to hang on to everything. And Abner knew that David was the rightful king. Abner knew God's hand was on David. Abner knew everything. He knew the stories. He was there when David slew Goliath. He was there uh, when David was, uh, rose up in, in power. He was there when Samuel was saying, hey, this guy will be the next king. Abner knew. And yet because of pride, Abner, re- Abner never recognized David as king. When he should have. Well, if you follow the story, Ishboseth rubs Abner the wrong way. And when that happens, Abner says, Fine, I'm done with you. And goes to David and says, Hey, I'll bring the whole kingdom to you. And, and Abner tries to manipulate everything and set everything up where he's still a leader. And, and really, Abner, in the in the first few chapters, if you go and read it, uh Abner's a deceptive, a deceiving person. And he's one that uh, really tried to connive and get things his way. And, of course, Joab found out what Abner was doing. And Joab comes, and if you recall, he kills Abner. And Joab had a vengeful spirit because Abner had killed Asahel, uh, Joab's brother. And so now Abner's dead. Now Saul is dead. So now, really, the only person left standing in between David and him being the rightful king of everything is this man, Ishbosheth. And tonight we're gonna see Ishbosheth die. But before we get into uh, the passage tonight, well, no, let's just go ahead and read. Let's go ahead and let's stand. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 4. And uh, we're gonna see David in our passage tonight. But tonight, David actually, although he's here, David's not a key character tonight in in 2 Samuel chapter number 4. He'll be key at the end, but there's two two other characters whose lives are brought to the forefront tonight. It's two brothers, one Baana and the other Rechab. Their story is here for us in 2 Samuel 4. And So let's read the chapter, just 12 verses, and then get into the message tonight. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble, and all the Israelites were troubled. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands high up in the military. The name of the one was Baana, the name of the other was Rechab, the sons of Rimon, the Birathite of the children of Benjamin, for Baroth also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Birathites fled. To Gitaim, and were sojourners there until this day. And Saul, or excuse me, and Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. We'll find out more about him in a few weeks. Great story. The sons of Ramon, the Birathite, Rechab and Baana, they went, and they came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. And they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat, and they smote him under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Baana, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him and slew him and beheaded him and took his head and gat them away through the plain all night. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life, and the Lord hath avenged my lord the king this day of Saul. And of his seed, and David answered Ricab and Baana his brother, the sons of Ramon the Berithite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity, when when one told me saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed? Shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew them. And they cut off their hands and their feet and hang them up over the pool of Hebron, in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. I want to ask you tonight, have you ever been going about your business and maybe trying to do something that, that you thought was right, but you go, all, you go about it in the, in the wrong way? Many times we go about doing what we think is right and yet, we fail to seek the Lord. We don't really stop to think about the outcome. We, we do what we think should happen. In our passage tonight, we're going to discover that these brothers, they were trying to do what they thought was right. And as a matter of fact, we're, we're going to see tonight that really the end goal that they had was the right thing. It was, it was what God had orchestrated and said years before. But the way they went about it was not the right way. And we all have those times, and many of us probably, we really don't want to admit it. But times when we try to do what we think is right, but we don't seek the Lord and we do it in the wrong way. And so tonight with these brothers, we're going to go and we're going to see how they were trying to do the right thing or so they thought, but they were doing it the wrong way. And I'm going to listen to their story and see if we can find help so that we don't attempt to do our right thing in the wrong way. So let's pray and let's ask God to speak to our hearts tonight. And um, if you would, would, just with your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you ask God to speak to you? You can pray something simple. God, just please speak into my heart tonight just in the quietness of your own heart, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you do that? And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me tonight, I'm listening to you. Dear Lord, we just want to come before you and I want to thank you for this passage. Thank you for, um, Lord, just the truths that are before us and the things that you've brought to my mind this week. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this time, Lord, whether we're here in person or online, I ask that you would um, just capture our attention, that you'd help us for the next few moments to, Lord, to understand that we may have a right thing that can be accomplished. Lord, not to ever go about it the wrong way. And God, by the end of the message tonight, I pray that you'd help every one of us to make the decision to seek you in our decisions. Lord, I see see that running throughout this passage. And so God, I pray that you'd help us, help us tonight to make up our mind that this week that we're just gonna seek your mind, that we're gonna seek your heart, that we're going to uh, follow the steps that you open up, not that we maneuver, And Lord, I pray that as you speak to us tonight, you'd give us the courage to respond to you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to the outline tonight, I want us us to understand what these men were trying to do and what I believe from the context of the scripture, why the author is really bringing their story to, to the forefront. I think there's a number of reasons that the story is being brought to the forefront. Number one, this is a time that really we could classify it as the end of Saul's kingdom. Uh, This is the end of Saul's reign. We know that Saul has been dead. As a matter of fact, Saul has died seven years ago. There's been seven years between 2 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 Samuel chapter number 4. So seven years have passed, and uh, Abner had done his thing of setting up the puppet king. And so Saul's reign really continued through Abner and Ishbosheth. but now it's the end of a reign. But when it comes to these two brothers, we need to know that no one's really leading. Since Abner's dead and Ishbosheth at the beginning of this chapter, and we can go and do the research, we won't now, but Ishbosheth, he wasn't a leader. Ishbosheth, really, I, I think the context would lead us to believe in most of the passages, Ishbosheth didn't even want to be the king. It was kind of Abner's thing. You go and you research, and it says Abner is the one who brought Ishbosheth, and Abner was the one giving instruction. And there's only one time that we hear from Ishbosheth, and that's when he's telling Abner, like, hey, uh, you know, didn't you go in and have relationships with one of my dad's concubines? And there's just kind of this weird dialogue between them that takes place. That's really the only time that we hear from Ishbosheth. So he's not a natural leader. Ishbosheth was what we've called that puppet king for Abner. Well, now that Saul's been dead for seven years, and Ishbosheth is, or excuse me, and Abner is off the, off the scene, you, you read about these two men, these two men, Baana and Rechab, and their story is significant, and we're told it's significant in verse number two. Verse two and three, we read that these two men are the sons of Ramon, the Berethite, of the children of Benjamin. And then there's that little parenthesis right there, and it says, For Baroth was reckoned to Benjamin, made of the tribe of Benjamin, and the Berathites fled to Gittaim and were sojourners there until this day. To understand the context of those verses, we would really need to go back to 1 Samuel, chapters 27 through 2 Samuel, chapter 1. During the time when Saul and the Philistines were at war, We read that the Israelites fled before the Philistines, and the Philistines pursued Israel throughout that region. Well, the region that it's talking about would be the home of these brothers, that that area of Beroth. It was an area that was overrun seven years earlier. So I want us to get our mind in the mind of these men tonight, of, of Ba'anah and Rechab. What, what was going through their mind. Their military leaders in the army of Ishbosheth and Abner and, and they they faithfully followed Saul, but seven years earlier, their families were driven from their home. Seven years earlier, all their families fled to Gittaim, and they became sojourners there. Do you see that in verse number three? They became sojourners. They became uh, people who were not from that land. Their, their home is in a different place. And so seven years earlier, Saul was killed. The Philistines overran their land. And so here you have them seven years later. They want to go home. Seven years later, they don't have somebody really leading them. Seven years later, they've no doubt heard the stories of David. They no doubt know the uh, the the truth that David is the rightful king. They no doubt have heard all of these things, and so here you have these two men that are displaced, not in their home. They're discontented. Abner is not uh, uh, there, and they really they're not content with what's taking place with Ishbosheth and. And probably they're disappointed. You know, the truth is that sometimes we make very irrational decisions when we're in the place of discontent, displacement, and disappointment. What do they want to do? They want to restore their home, they want their people to experience restoration. They've been following Abner and Ishbosheth for seven years and nothing's happened. Having heard the stories of David and probably recognizing him as king, they They probably are thinking, man, maybe we do want him as king. Maybe we do want peace. And they think to themselves, hey, if we play our cards right on this, we could could please David, we could create peace, and we could get our home back. You see, because at this time, there was a great war going on continuously. There was many battles taking place. Between David's kingdom and the people of Israel. And you can go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And so here's these men. They have, I'm looking at this, and I I think they have a right plan. (laughs) We want David as king, we want to return home. We want peace for God's people. But they go about it the entire, the entirely wrong way. And I want us to see tonight some things that happen when they tried to do the right thing the wrong way. Because the truth is that the principles we see here are the same things that happen and can happen in our life when we're trying to do the right thing. But we don't go about it God's way. We go about it the wrong way. Don't you notice, first of all, tonight, when we try to do the right things in the wrong way in our own wisdom and when we, the way we think it should be done, first of all, we usually act in secret. We usually act in secret. Notice verse five and six. <clears throat> it says, and the sons of Ramon, the Berethite, Rechab and Baana, they went, and they came about the heat of the day. To the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon, and they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat. Now, you and I, we just read this, and on the surface, it's kind of like, all right, they came in the heat of the day, and it made it look like they were going to get wheat, and they went into the house, and, you know, all right, let's connect the dots. Let's remember who these men were. They were two trusted leaders. When you read that at the beginning, you read that they're captains of bands. So they're they're two, if I could say it this way, uh, uh, their security clearance is high. All right, they, they have access to the king, they have access to the to the throne room, they have access to the wheat, they have access to the groceries. They can get around and do anything. So we need to know their, their position, their two military leaders for Ishbosheth. But at this time, when it says that it was the heat of the day. This is a time when, when I first read this, I thought, man, Ishbosheth was being lazy right in the middle of the day, and maybe there's a message here about Ishbosheth and all that, but I like naps, so I didn't want to talk about that. <laughs> but that's not what it's saying. No, the heat of the day would be a time when the sun was the hottest, and if you've been to Israel during a, a hot season, it can get very hot in the middle of the day that Middle Eastern region, it can get super hot. And so what a lot of people would do to escape the heat, that would, it would be a nap time. It would be a time to go in and to rest while, while that hour, hour and a half, where the heat is, is scorching hot and you're not gonna get much done anyway because of being so hot, go ahead and go inside and then go back out and finish your work. And so here's here's Ishbosheth. he's just taking a break like everybody else. Well, the, the two brothers, they knew Nobody else is going to be around the house. Why? Because even all the servants, people are going to be resting at this time. But then there's, a, there's that phrase there. You see it at the end of it? They made as though they would have fetched wheat. Okay, at this time, the king's palace, it would be adjacent to the storehouse. At that time, we've, we've heard this before, but instead of being paid in money, many people would be paid in grain. You'd be paid in wheat. So this storehouse was, it was the bank. And this bank would have been guarded 24-7. So really, Bayana and rakab they knew the only people we have to get past are the guards outside of the wheat, are the guards outside of the bank. And so what did they do? They came into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat. You know what they did? They just went to the security guards and they said, oh, we're just grabbing some wheat. We're just getting some grain. We're maybe gonna pay our soldiers. We're maybe gonna take care of some accounts. Hey, we're just doing a withdrawal. Don't worry about it. And because of their high security clearance, those guards wouldn't have asked any questions. You know what they were doing? They were plotting. They were scheming. They were acting in secret. They didn't want anyone to know because they knew that it probably wasn't the best way to accomplish what they were trying to accomplish. They were acting in secret. Isn't it interesting how secluded we become when we were acting in such a way that we, don't, that we know others would not approve of? Here you have two brothers who are trying to do what they thought was right. And from, from the passage, what I could say, they were, they were trying to get things turned around. But they did it in the wrong way and what they do. They acted in secret. They had to fake like they were doing something else in order to accomplish what they were actually doing. And I just want to say it this way tonight. Unless you're planning a surprise party or you're ministering in a restricted nation, it's not good to always go about doing things in secret. One man would say it this way. If you find yourself concerned And hiding your actions, then you are probably not going about it the right way. And how many Christians, we we try to do the right thing, but we just, you know, we don't want want to tell people, well, I hope this works out. You know, I just don't really want anybody to know. If that's happening, we're probably doing it the wrong way. I see this morning that they they were trying to do the right thing the wrong way, and when we do that, we usually act in secret. The second thought is, when we try to do the right thing the wrong way, we ruin relationships, and often we hurt people. Now, this one's kind of like a duh point. Well, why is it a duh point? Uh, they killed a man. <laughs> second, second Samuel chapter 4, verse number 7, notice what it says. That they came into the house, and he, Ishbosheth, lay in his bed, uh, lay on his bed in the bedchamber, and they smote him, they killed him, they slew him, and, and they beheaded him, and they took his head. Uh, <clears throat> at that time Taking someone's head was very significant because it was like uh, it was it was saying, "Hey, this is validation that the person's actually dead." Uh, now we, you know, you go to any crime scene or anything like that, and and they take pictures of the bodies or things like that. Military, think of when um, uh, Bin Laden was killed; they took pictures to validate, "Hey, he really is dead." That's what beheading was, and they took the head to get to David and like genuinely say, "Hey, it's validated." like he's dead. They beheaded him and took his head, and they, look what it says, they got them away through the plain all night. Verse number six says that they, at the end of verse number six, it says that they escaped. So they killed him, and then they knew they had to flee. Now, really, when I look at this point that we ruin relationships and hurt people and say that it's self-explanatory, I say that because they ruined their relationships and a man got killed. Well, what relationships did they ruin? Well, remember, they're military leaders. They now ruined the relationship that they had with all of their men. They now ruined the influence that they had as uh, I mean, moving up to become a captain of the band, moving up in the military and being seen. And remember what we discovered a few weeks ago, that the people who moved up in Saul's military, they weren't just normal people. They were they were people that Saul knew. I can trust them to fight because Saul, when he first started his kingdom, he wanted the best of the best. And you can go and find that in 1 Samuel chapters uh, 7 and 8, that Saul was like, hey, I, I don't want just anybody. I want the best of the best. And so we know that Rechab and, and Baanna, they were probably good fighters. They were probably good leaders. They were probably very charismatic men. They were probably men that everybody knew and perhaps leaned on and and knew that, man, these guys are, they're the leaders. So why are they escaping? If they were doing the right thing the right way, do you think they would have had to flee? No. No. No, they wouldn't have. Now they're running for their lives and It's costing them relationship, and soon they're thinking they're going to please David, but they'll soon find out that their actions would cost them their relationship with the king. A lot was affected by their decision. They thought they were doing right, but they were doing their right in the wrong way. You know what? When you and I try to do our right or do right things in the wrong way, we too can ruin relationships and hurt people. It may not cost someone their life, but it could cost you influence. It could cost you relationships. It could cost you a family relationship or a work relationship. When we take matters in our own hands, we usually end up hurting people. And that we need to remember that, that when we do that, when we take matters into our own hands, we, we hurt others. And we do things our way. If you're in our... Um, <clears throat> Strength for the Day, on the weekdays, we've been going through the book of James. And as I was studying, this verse from last week's study came to my mind. When James wrote this, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Why? For or because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Hey, when we react and respond how we think, you're not representing the righteousness of God. You're actually going to be hurting the situation and damaging the situation. And it wasn't wrong. I mean, think about these guys. Was it wrong that they wanted their home back? No. Should the Philistines have been occupying Baroth at this time? No. No, that was, that was Israel's land. That was their land. They were, excuse me, they were reconciled to the tribe of Benjamin. So this is the Benjamites' land. That, that's what, this is where they should be wasn't wrong that they wanted their land back? Was it wrong that they wanted David as king? No. Was it wrong that they recognized David as king? No. No, God recognized David as king. It wasn't wrong that they even perhaps wanted to serve in David's military. I think their thinking was, man, if we kill Ishbosheth, then David will see our loyalty and he'll give us a he'll give us position and David even in the end we're going to see this. He says, "Hey, you guys didn't really think this through." You you were trying to do one thing, but you did it the wrong way. You know what they did? They ended up costing relationships and costing people their lives. And the fact is that when we're trying to do the right thing in the wrong way, we too can ruin relationships and hurt people. What else happens? Well, when we're trying to do the right thing the wrong way, we tend to justify and spiritualize our actions. Now, don't miss this one tonight. Verse number eight. Now they've killed Ishbosheth. They fled. And notice what it says. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David, to Hebron. And look at what they say to him Behold, behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life. And then, look at what they say. And the Lord hath avenged my Lord the king this day of Saul and of his seed. Don't miss what they said there. Don't miss that last part. Hey, hey, David, man, Saul's been your enemy. We killed, hey, David, look at what God did. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Man, the Lord hath a vent. Hey, look at what God did. You know what they did? They pointed all of this to God. Hey, David, look. Look at what God did. David, look what we did. We snuck in. We murdered. We escaped. And all of it was to honor God. Hey, David, look at what God is doing. You know what they try to do? They try to justify their actions, and they try to over-spiritualize their decisions. It's like Jacob when he tricked his father, Isaac. Remember when Jacob was pretending to be Esau and Isaac asked him, man, you you got this venison real quick, son. Esau, how'd you get it? And Jacob said, oh, God. Father, God blessed me this day. God did it. And it wasn't Jacob or it wasn't God. It was Jacob, the deceiver. And here in 2 Samuel, these brothers, they spiritualize their decision. They justify their decisions. But you know what? God was nowhere near their decisions. We're going to see in just a minute that David truly corrects them to say, you don't even know God. This wasn't something God was doing. They were acting on their own accord to accomplish what they wanted in their way. and it, it may have been the right thing at the root, but they went about it in a sinful way, and then they blamed God. And I just want to tell you tonight, when we leave God out of something, we can't blame him for the outcome. And this happens so often in our lives as well. We make decisions doing what we think is right. We leave God out of a decision. Then we try to spiritualize our decision. We say, look at what God did. And there's so many illustrations and life examples that that, that, I, know, that I know of with this thought. I mean, this is, the, this is the family who says, no, 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 it is God's will that I take this job. It's God's will that I take this job. I've been, been, been uh, thinking about a new job. And, and then this job opened up. And I'll ask, all right, it, it might be good for you to take this job. But how's it going to affect your family? Oh, well, pastor, yeah, there's, there's no church there. there there's one. It, it's about an hour and a half away. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. We'll drive it every week. And this is the family, and this is the man that, that takes a job even though it is going to cost his family. And, and I'm not saying that God's not in a new job. I'm saying that often we spiritualize a decision that we just want to do. Hey, listen, let's just be honest about it. I, you know what? I'm just going to take this job because I want the money. God, God's nowhere near this. This is the promotion But at the price of time with my family and God's people, this is the financial decision that really doesn't make any sense at all. And then we go, well, but look at what God's doing. Now, don't get me wrong. God moves people. God gives promotions. God brings along financial opportunities that at the time, maybe on paper, don't make sense. But you know what happens is when God does it, it's because he's been involved in it. It's because we're seeking God. It's because we've been following his decisions and uh, praying about I, I thank the Lord for the people who have been in our church that, that God has moved. I'm thinking right now of Quinn and Don Anderson, and, and Quinn might even be watching the service. I don't know, but you know what? What I'm so thankful for is watching Quinn and Don and their move. Man, it took three years. He came to me probably, uh, they, they moved, what was it, two years ago now? Has it been two years And so he came to me about five years ago. He said, Pastor, I I might have an opportunity to move back home, but I I don't want to do it without God's blessing. And I'm not trying to highlight Quinn tonight. I'm just trying to point out there's a difference when we include God in our plans and we don't include God in our plans. And I remember I said, well, Quinn, let's just pray about it. I'm not going to tell you God's will for your life and your family. Let's pray about it. So we prayed for a while. He said, Pastor, it's just not the right timing. And and honestly, I I don't know of a church that's nearby that I would want to go to. A few months later, hey, Pastor, I'm heading home. We're going to take a trip. We're going to see if there's a church yet. And this went on for a few years until finally the dreaded conversation. When he was like, hey, Pastor, we we think we found some churches. There's three in the area that we've narrowed it down to. And Pastor, God settled our heart, and he's given us peace that it's the right time. Man, I hated that, but I'm so thankful they did it the right way. I want to tell you that you and I, we may look at a move and say, oh, well, I would make a move with a, you know, in the right way. I mean, that's a huge decision. But the fact is that God wants us to go about the right things every day in our lives his way. That's what we're going to end tonight is, is understanding that God wants us to seek him in our decisions. Because when we don't, you know what we try to do in the end? We try to justify it and over-spiritualize it. And that's what they were doing. They were throwing God under the bus because they had accomplished something that they wanted to do. When we're trying to do the right thing in the wrong way, we usually act in secret. We can ruin relationships and hurt people. We try to justify and and spiritualize our decisions. But then lastly tonight, we need to know that when we do the right thing in the wrong way, it never ends well. It just never ends well. No, it does not. The verses tonight, verse number nine, down through verse number 12, David answered Rechab and Baana, his brother, the sons of Ramon the Berethite. And notice what he says to them. He says, as the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. You know what that phrase is? That's David saying, um, hey, fellas, I'm kind of accustomed to how God works now. Like God, God, has, God has bought me out of a lot of adversity. And as God lives, and the God that I know, he doesn't act this way. Nope. Notice what he says. When, when, when one, this was the Amalekite. Hey, do you guys know your history? Hey, hey Baana, Rechab, did, did you, guys, you guys know history at all? Because seven years ago, somebody tried this. That's what he's saying. Hey, behold, someone came to me saying, behold, Saul is dead. And they thought that they brought me good tidings. And you know what I did? I took hold of him. And I slew him in Ziklag because he thought that that I would give him a reward for his tidings. And then notice what he says. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed. Hey, Saul was guilty. We know that. And even when he died, I killed the messenger because he thought it was a good thing. Do you guys really think, did you guys not hear that story? That's what what David's saying to him. Like, you apparently didn't think this one through because Ishbosheth. notice what he calls him. He was a righteous person. Hey, Ishbosheth was innocent in all this. Abner just used him. Ishbosheth, he was just, he kind of inherited the throne because of Abner's pride. And you guys went in and you killed a righteous person on his own bed. He didn't have a fighting chance. Shall I not, therefore, now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And then verse 12, David just says, hey, guys, kill him, take him out. And in that last verse it says that they took their hands and their feet and they hung them above the pool in Hebron and they buried Ishbosheth's head by hanging the hands and the feet of these two men it was it was really David making a statement to the people of Israel that we're establishing the kingdom in truth hey these guys their hands have shed innocent blood and their feet have run into mischief. And we're hanging them up to let you know this kingdom is not gonna be built that way. Nope. So it's like David says to these guys, you guys show up here like you're God's agents. But God is far from this. I mean, do you ever think about the story from seven years ago? And then he proceeds to tell them this, you don't know God, you don't know history, and you don't know right from wrong. He was a righteous person. You went about this the wrong way. What were they trying to do? They were trying to manipulate. They were trying to manipulate David in the situation. We go back and read the verses. Isn't it interesting? They go to David and they, they really personalize it. David, look at what God has done to thine enemy. You're our king. And they assume that David's going to be glad, but instead, David, he has them killed and have him, has them made as an example. I just want to say tonight that when we try to do what we think is right, but we go about it without seeking God, we're just trying to accomplish what we want. And when we go about things in the wrong way, it never ends well. This is why all throughout scripture, we read verses like this, Matthew 6, 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And what's going to happen? Thy father which seeth in secret, he'll reward you openly. Psalm 91, verse 1, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So the person who seeks God is going to be in the presence of God. A few verses later, it says this about that person. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. Jesus said, God said to the people of Israel in Jeremiah 33, the famous verse, call unto me and I will answer thee. And I'll show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The famous proverb, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Take knowledge of him. And what's he going to do? He will direct your paths. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, hey, let him ask of God. Why? Because God giveth to all men liberally, and he, he upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. The verse we end on tonight, Psalm 105, verse number four. Hey, seek the Lord. Seek his strength and seek his face evermore. You know the principle, listen, you know the principle all throughout scripture that many Christians just throw to the curbside so often is seeking God in your decisions. Seeking God in your decisions. We don't need to try to do our right things in the wrong way. We instead can do God's right things God's right way. But what do we have to do? You have to seek Him. Seek His decisions. Seek His mind. Compare our decisions to the Word of God and seek Him. You know what it's going to do? It's going to save you from a lot of heartache, it's going to save you from ruining relationships. It's going to save you from hurting people. It's going to save you from having to live in the shadows and sneak around and and worry. I wonder if someone's going to find out about that. I sure hope someone doesn't find out about that. I mean, I hope I can get this accomplished before they do. Then they'll understand that the end justifies the means. No. No. Instead, we should determine to seek God in all of our decisions. Hey, this week, this week you're gonna have decisions at work. Hey, this week you're gonna have decisions in the home and and you're gonna have decisions with the kids and with the grandkids and with the family and you're gonna have decisions as to how to respond to that person on on social media or email and you're gonna make decisions this week as to how to steward your time and you're gonna make decisions this week as to who to invest in and what words to say and and how how to spend your money. Can I just say tonight, seek God in all those things. Seek God in all those things. If you say, well, I've sought God, but I'm still coming up short. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Get some godly people around you that can invest in you and that can uh, can pour into helping you and I make decisions. I was scrolling through Twitter this last week. If you don't know anything about Twitter, stay off of it. (laughs) Some of the most contentious things happen on Twitter. But I, I, follow, I follow certain people. I like to follow people that really encourage me and uplift me, and, and uh, I follow different pastors on there. And if someone's just negative all the time, if, in my mind, it's like, all right, if you're negative three or four days in a row, I'm done following you. We're not, we're not playing that game. Uh, but the other day, I saw somebody post a, a thing, and it said something like, uh, every church member, and this is a philosophy out there, every church member should seek their pastor's decision in everything they do. And I looked at that, and I remember, Mom, I remember that pastor that you guys knew. There was a pastor from Canada years ago, and he was like, well, I want my church to seek my decision for everything. Like, really? He's like, yeah, they need to call me about what movie they should rent, and they should call me about what car they should buy, and they should call me about, and I was like, dude, no. (laughs) Like, I have enough stress as it is. Like if Brian calls me, is like, hey, pastor, what movie should I rent? I'm like, dude, ask your wife, not me. Like, are you in the mood for comedy or not? You know what? I, I read that and I understand the sentiment of like, hey, you should seek counsel. There's so much in scripture about that, right? But you know what? I thought about it. I looked at it and I thought, I understand the sentiment of like, hey, make sure we're always seeking counsel. I get that. But can I encourage you tonight, don't have a mindset that says, I'm going to seek the counsel of other people before I seek the counsel of God. Nope. God gave you, listen, you won't hear this from a lot of pa- I don't know if you'll hear it from a lot of pastors, but you're going to hear it from me because I'm not that smart. <laughs> She's the one that always says, Pastor, I forgot the mutant button. I got so used to those weeks during COVID. Now you made me forget what I was going to say, Lorinda. I'm not, I know, I know I said that. Oh, here, that's what it was. Uh, I'm not that smart. That's it. Let's have heads about night. I'm just kidding. Now, let me tell you this tonight, and I want, I want it to sink in because this is something that I think is healthy for every single Christian. In the church and in the Christian life, God gave you the same Holy Spirit and the same Bible that He gave me. God gave you the same. The same spirit to speak truth in your life and the same word of God to compare decisions to. And yes, it is wise to seek counsel. We should always seek counsel. And I praise God for people that come to me and say, hey, pastor, here's a big decision we wanna make. Would you pray with us on that? I will do that. I'm not gonna pray with you about what movie to rent. I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna like give you a dollar and say, go to Redbox. I don't know. But you know what? Here's what I'm gonna say. Here's what I'm going to say. In your life, God gave you the same Holy Spirit and the same word of God as me. And so you know what you can do? You can pray and talk to God. Hey, God, what decisions do you want me to make this week? Hey, God, what movie do you want me to rent this week? Hey, God, what, what response do you want me to have to that antagonistic person at work? Hey, God, my boss has really been, they've really been just letting me have it. God, how do you want me to speak to them? And then if you have an answer that you think that's the right way, compare it to Scripture. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it ain't the right way. Oh, but I fill in my spirit. No, 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 no. We trust God's Spirit and compare it to the Holy Scripture. Can I encourage you tonight? Determine. This week is going to be a week that I seek God in all my decisions. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.